What makes a leader worthy to follow? Perhaps someone who has a charismatic personality or a large following on social media? Someone who is courageous, outspoken, and bold? We often picture the leader as being the one on center stage, the one in the spotlight. But Jesus demonstrated a very countercultural picture of what marks a true leader. A leader may be many things, but one distinct mark Jesus associated great leadership with is servanthood. Today on Bloom, we'll dive into the concept of living out countercultural leadership, not with large platforms or large followings, but with humble servant hearts. I'm your host, Jen Robinson, for February 19th, 2021. Welcome to Bloom. This is a podcast designed to inspire, encourage, and grow women in their relationship with each other and the Lord. So in the first part of this series, we expounded on the concept of kingship and how kings were expected to be wealthy. We read how Christ challenged his church to place higher value on eternal investments and store treasures in heaven. Today we're switching gears a bit and talking about Jesus' countercultural approach to leadership and what it looks like for us to lead like Christ. Before we begin, though, um, unpacking what Christ-like leadership looks like, we're going to explore a fundamental biblical expectation of leadership. One of the most significant expectations of a biblical leader was to be a mighty war hero, a conqueror on the battlefield. Israel believed that their king, their prophesied Messiah, was in fact coming to deliver them, but not so much spiritually deliver them, but more so politically deliver them from the Roman government. To put this into Old Testament context, I want to read about one of the Bible's most famous battles, David and Goliath. David, who at this time was a young shepherd boy, who was anointed by Saul to be the future king of Israel. And he's confidently choosing to face a most intimidating adversary. The Philistine army had a secret weapon in the form of a nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we learn that Israel wasn't just afraid of Goliath, which was enough to be afraid of in itself, They feared the outcome of what would happen if they lost this seemingly hopeless battle against their enemy. So we're going to read real quick in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to begin in verse 8, and we're going to read verses 8 and 9. And it says, Then he, meaning Goliath, stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So Goliath is outlining the terms of the battle. If Israel wins, the Philistines must be their servants. But if the Philistines win... The Israelites must be their servants. And when it would appear the odds are stacked against you in this situation, you can imagine why Israel was so distraught. 
You know, being a servant to another was considered a lowly position, to say the least. It was a position that represented defeat, weakness, and significance. After David conquered Goliath with a sling and a stone, and then a chapter later defeated thousands more Philistines, this proved to the people he was one worthy to lead Israel because David's leadership meant Israel would not have to be subject to their enemies. Leaders ruled and reigned. They had others serve and wait on them, not the other way around. So you can imagine how Jesus' teaching and, more importantly, his example in servanthood rocked the current culture of leadership. And it also redefined the standard for the church today. Israel was expecting the foretold Messiah to resemble the same leadership of King David, a leader who modeled strength and boldness, not humility and meekness. A leader who was a brave and courageous warrior, not a loving, tender servant. Jesus' message of love and grace was not exactly what the Israelites had in mind for their king, but that is the gospel, and that is the countercultural Christ. Jesus had his moments of large followers. Followers who were more often interested in Jesus' miracles than his message. Isn't that something that we still see and struggle with today? We love to receive God's inheritance, but not so much his instructions. But Jesus did not merely throw out instructions on his followers that he first did not model himself. One of the best examples we see in Christ's servant leadership in scripture is when he washed his disciples' feet. The story is found in John chapter 13. Jesus and his disciples were gathered for the final meal together before Jesus would be crucified. Rather than seeking praise and attention for the ultimate sacrifice he was about to make, Jesus instead demonstrated his servant heart by doing the most lowly task of washing his disciples' feet. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up. We're going to begin reading in John chapter 13, and I'm going to start in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you are clean. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. 
Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So first off, a little backstory. Right before this story, right before the Last Supper, the disciples were in an argumentative debate about which one of them was the greater disciple. I think it's not coincidental timing that Jesus chooses to exemplify servanthood at this point. Instead of tending to one another, the disciples were caught up in this argument of comparison and competition. So when Jesus, their teacher and Lord, kneels down to wash their feet, they are completely blown away. In fact, Peter even initially objects to the thought that his leader and master would humble himself in such a way to perform such a lowly act. Now, I don't know about you, but I cringe a little bit inside when I read this story because I just don't like feet. I barely tolerate my own feet. And in biblical times, feet were just downright filthy. These were not pedicured feet that had been in clean shoes with fresh detergent washed socks all day. The disciples wore sandals and the streets were extremely dirty. So you can only imagine just how gross this job was. A job that was often left for the servant, the lowest ranking servant of the household to perform, not a leader, and certainly not a king. But if we were just to accept this story at face value, we would think this is just a story of Jesus washing feet, and we would be remiss to see it's really a picture of Christ's servant heart and the story of his loving redemption. At first glance, after reading this, you might be asking yourself, okay, what does this mean for me? Do I have to wash someone's dirty feet in order to be a Christ-like leader? Well, maybe not literally, but Jesus was setting an example for his followers to model leadership that begins with servanthood. Through this humble act of service, Jesus gives us a clear picture of his heart and his commission for his church. So what is the church challenge in all this? I wanted to highlight three characteristics of Christ-like servant leaders we find in this story. And these characteristics are the challenge for the church today as leaders striving to be countercultural disciples of Jesus. The first characteristic of a Christ-like servant leader is that they are motivated by love. Jesus' love was undeserved, unconditional, and unselfish. He did not wash his disciples' feet because they were worthy to have their feet washed. It's not like Jesus said, you know, you guys are just really killing it by following me, and I just want to show you a little appreciation. You just deserve to be pampered some. No, not at all. Remember, they were just arguing over who was the greatest among themselves. It was love that compelled Christ to kneel down and wash their feet. 
It says that Jesus knew who was about to betray him. So even Judas's feet, the very same feet that Jesus knew were preparing to run and turn him over to the authorities. Jesus washed his feet too. A servant leader is one who serves out of love for another, whether deserving or not. It's not about what you gain from serving, but what you give. You are extended the same love Jesus had for his disciples. Remember what the beginning of John chapter 13 said. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. Christ was motivated by love. It was the very reason that he came. A second characteristic of a Christ-like servant leader is that they willingly lay down their rights in order to serve someone else. Jesus is the King of Kings. It even says in here, I am Lord and teacher, and rightly so. That was his right title, Lord, teacher. And yet he takes the role of a slave. The Last Supper portrays so many parallels to Jesus' ministry of servanthood. John records that Jesus rose from the supper to do this humble act of love. Now picture the parallel that likewise Jesus had to rise from his heavenly throne, leave his kingdom to be born a helpless little baby. Another humble act of love. John also writes that Jesus then laid aside his garments just as he laid aside his glory when he came into the world. He laid aside his deity to become a man. And here we witness Christ, the Savior of the world, girding himself with a towel, lowering himself beyond understanding. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 7 and 8 that Jesus took the form of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. Jesus laid down his heavenly right as king over creation to wrap himself in a towel and wash his disciples' feet, and ultimately to lay down his right to life and receive an unjust penalty in order to pay for our sins. In Mark 10, 42-45, Jesus tells his disciples, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We have to be willing to humble ourselves, lay down our rights in order to serve one another. A third characteristic of a Christ-like servant leader is one who sacrificially pours into the lives of others. John writes that after Jesus got up and wrapped the towel around himself, he poured water into a basin. Why is this simple act significant? 
Well, because we see yet again another distinct parallel of Jesus' ministry to serve. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, who revealed himself previously in John chapter 4 to a Samaritan woman at a well, that he is the living water. We see Jesus, the living water, pouring water into a basin to wash his disciples' feet. And so we recognize the symbolism of Jesus, who was not just pouring water into a basin, but preparing to pour out his blood for us. Isn't it incredible? True servanthood doesn't come without some kind of cost. If there isn't a cost, if it doesn't require any sacrifice on our part, it isn't servanthood. Think about it this way. If you have a cup filled with water or coffee, for me, hot chocolate, and someone else has an empty cup, in order for them to have what you have, you have to pour the water the coffee, the hot chocolate from your cup into theirs. You're giving up something, sacrificing what you have in order for someone else to have it. In Jesus' case, he poured out his cup so ours could overflow. He didn't just give us enough so we could have a sip or a taste. He gave it all. He poured out himself and filled our cup. You know, whether this is a story you have read over and over again or whether you're just hearing it for the first time, we can feel challenged to be a church that leads with a servant heart. In contrast to what leadership may look like to the world's perspective, self-seeking, large platforms, and large followings on social media, we can be a church who is motivated by love, willingly lay down willing to lay down our rights, our titles, our fancy positions maybe that we have to others, even if they don't deserve it. And we can sacrificially pour into the lives of others. It's a radical idea of leadership, but it's our calling as the church belonging to a countercultural Christ. The temple was the center of sacred worship and sacrificial offerings, as well as considered the most significant dwelling historically to Israel and the religious leaders. It was the very house of God, yet Jesus, the Son of God, made an extreme statement when he foretold not a single stone would be left standing. Next time on Bloom, we'll discuss how the countercultural Christ destroyed the temple to fulfill the law, and established his church as the new living temple of the Holy Spirit. Keep growing, and God bless.